0: Today on Sagittarian Matters, Beth Pickens joins us to give advice about comparing and despairing. Plus, I talk about bad art, friend, and we have unsolicited vegan food reviews, and Michelle T joins me to talk about a coffee drink that will fill your mouth with rose petals. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What? Hello from the Sagittarian Matters Social Distancing Studios in Los Angeles, California. Listeners, I'm sorry it's taken so long to put out the podcast. If you ever read Zines in the 90s, anything after episode one or sorry, issue one of The Zine included an apology from the writer. An apology, you know, delivered either like, please forgive me or like, fuck you. But the apology would always be like, sorry, this is late. And then it would go on for a few pages talking about why the zine was late as if people had been waiting on pins and needles. I'm here to say, sorry, it's been a long time since I published a podcast. I'm doing my best. And we love the podcast. Producer Chris and I love it. We're not going to stop. We have a trillion unsolicited vegan food reviews for you. And I'm happy to be with you today. Before we get to our guest, before we get to advice, before we get to unsolicited vegan food reviews, I need to talk to you about an internet saga that I was following last month. Well, by the time you listen to this, it will probably be November. Most of October, my brain was taken over by Bad Art Friend. I had some spare time on my hands. I went ahead and read the entirety of Twitter, I finished Twitter. I finished the internet, um, and now I'm here to tell the tale. Okay, here's how I did it. Here's what happened. I read the article in the New York Times that everybody read called Bad Art Friend. Don't worry if you didn't read it. I'm going to summarize it for you. The Bad Art Friend article came out, and then I was looking on Twitter at the discourse, and when the discourse began, people were hating on one of the women in the article. And so I dug and I dug and I learned a lot more that wasn't in the article. Maybe you already know all this. If you don't, that means you probably have used your time on earth more wisely, but I'm going to tell you about it right now. If a podcast is like hanging out with somebody, just make it like we're on a road trip. I'm in the passenger seat. Hand me a bubble tea and let's go. Okay. So the gist of Bad Art Friend is this. There's these two women. There's two main characters, Dawn Dorland. In Sonia Larson. Dawn Dorland is a writer. She is published here and there. She teaches writing workshops. She's part of a writing community. Um, she's been a maybe a teacher, but definitely she's been a student at a place called Grub Street, which is in Massachusetts. Sonia Larson, somebody who's also affiliated with Grub Street, but is actually like on the payroll. And Sonia has more accolades for her work. Her work's been published a lot more places. Um, she actually like produces literary events that she would sometimes invite Don Dorland to teach at. And they were such friends. They weren't like best friends, but they were such friends that, um, You know, when Sonia's partner's mother died, Dawn came to the funeral. When Dawn moved away from Massachusetts, Sonia came to the going away party with a beautiful gift. They're that kind of colleague, friend. And in the past, Sonia had famously, I say this because you need to know, commented on a lot of Dawn's Facebook posts. Okay, so Dawn, back to Dawn. She's had a hard-knock life. She grew up poor. There was some abuse. She has come out of this as a person um, with a lot of empathy, and she decides to do an altruistic kidney donation. What that means is that you're not giving a kidney to anybody you know. You're giving a kidney to a stranger. Here's something I learned about. It. It's called kidney chains. And I hope if nothing else comes of this, that people know more about kidney donation and maybe a friend of a friend of a friend gives a kidney. Awesome. Okay. so. Say that say that I'm married to somebody and they need a kidney but I'm not a match. So I say to the doctors or whoever. I don't know who who's brokering this. I say to the person with the cooler in their hand. I'll give you my kidney to give to someone else if one of their friends or family if you know if you can find a someone to donate a kidney to my spouse, I will donate a kidney to somebody else who is a match for me since I'm not a match for my spouse. Like and then the chain goes on. But at the end of the chain, there's a person who has no friends or family who are a match. And that person can. I, I'm really bad. I'm really butchering this. Just Google it. But basically, Dawn Dorland gives her kidney just to whoever. She says, I want to give up a kidney to a person who doesn't have a match. And then this will fulfill this kidney chain. So, like, multiple people will actually all get their kidney wishes coming true and they'll get to live. That's wonderful. As part of that, when you do that, it is advised that you. Make a tiny Facebook group so that your friends and family understand what's going on with you. And also the kidney donation places want you to advertise what you're doing. They'll want you to say, hey, everybody, I gave a kidney. You can too. Here's how it goes. You know, there's like really long, I'm sorry to sound like a a teenage dog. There's like really long lists. That's my dog, Beja's voice. There's very long lists of people who are waiting for organ donation. And so when... People donate organs. If they have any kind of public face, the organizations want them to ask, tell people about it. So this woman, Dawn, starts a private Facebook group for her friends. At the time, on Facebook, you can see who has been interacting with your posts and who's been reading your posts. So she invites Sonia to be part of the group. Sonia accepts. There's some kind of disclaimer on the group that's like, hey, if you're uncomfortable with this or you think it's weird, please leave the group. Okay, Sonia's in the group. Dawn notices Sonia is reading every post, spending a really long time reading about her nine months leading up to her kidney donation, reading everything about the kidney donation. But Sonia never, ever, ever presses the like button or leaves a comment or anything. So I can't remember this part, but basically they get in an email exchange where Don's like, how's it going, Sonia? And Sonia's like, oh, it's fine. What's been up with you? You know, here's some professional things going on. What's up with you? And she's like, well here's some professional things but like you know did you know that I donated a kidney and she's like oh oh yeah I guess I yeah I guess I did hear about that oh wow that's so great that you did that that's awesome she's like yeah well I just noticed that you haven't actually been um you you didn't you didn't respond to my Facebook posts and the other person's like oh was I even in that Facebook group huh I didn't I didn't know uh, so, so the New York Times article starts with this and you're like, oh my gosh, what kind of a person hounds people for not liking their Facebook posts? So then, you, fi- you know, I find out later like, okay, well, the kind of person who sees that person's been like spending a lot of time on their Facebook page reading everything and then pretending like they weren't there. Anyway, so time goes by and then somebody posts on Don's Facebook page and says, hey, Don, I just heard Sonia read a story about someone donating a kidney. Was that inspired by your altruistic kidney donation? Cool. So then Don writes to Sonia and says, hey, buddy, I heard that you wrote a kidney story. Do you mind if I read it? I can't help but wonder if it was inspired by this. And she's like, oh, that it's, um, it's still in progress. I mean, you know, it's really nothing. Uh, it was, you know, I, your kidney donation got me thinking, but it definitely isn't based on you. I mean, your kidney donation. It just made me think about, you know, this and that and the other. And it's, you know, fiction and it was inspiring. And anyway, someday when it's done, I'll be happy to send you a copy. And she's like, okay, great. Um, and I feel like they have some kind of back and forth where, you know, Don's like, I wish that you had been a more supportive friend about the kidney thing instead of just writing a fucking story about it. And Sonia's like, oh, my God, I really value our friendship. I would never want you to think that I – Was writing about you. It's this whole like I value your friendship kind of processing thing. So they're emailing each other. Okay, time goes by. Dawn's doing a little googling. She's got some time on her hands. She's recovering from major surgery. She's doing some Googling. She finds a version of this kidney story on Audible.com. Okay, but here's the clin, here's the clincher. Here's like the linchpin for the whole story. In the story, it includes a letter that Sonia stole, word for word, from Dawn's Facebook page. Wow, allegedly. I don't know why I'm saying allegedly. I don't think anyone's coming after Sagittarian Matters. If you do, we don't have any money, so I don't know. Okay, so on the Facebook page, Dawn had posted a letter to the donor or to the the recipient of the kidney, like the person at the end of the chain who has nobody to give them a kidney. It is advised that when you're giving a kidney, you send that person a letter that's basically like, hey, it's okay that another human being is cutting up their body so you can have part of it. I swear I really wanted to do this. Here's the reasons I wanted to do it. You know, I just think like there's like some psychological process by which the the donation places want you to, you know, communicate with that person. Not like we're gonna be pen pals for life, but like I'm communicating with you that I'm making this donation of my own free will and please enjoy it. Have a great time with this kidney. She posted this letter. It's very earnest. It's very earnest. It's very like, you know, in the parlance of the internet, some people would call it cringe. I call it like just what you fucking do when you're giving somebody, when you're going through this major surgery and someone's like uh, on the precipice of life and death. I'm sorry. Things get a little earnest. The the letter is basically like, I had a hard life. I have, have so much empathy now. This was a really hard process, but I kept thinking of you and I wanted you to have this kidney and all this stuff. So Dawn listens to this story, and it has her same fucking letter word for word in it. So she's like, hey, Sonia, what's up with this? And anyway, and Sonia's like, oh, what? Um, So Dawn gets a lawyer, and Sonia gets a lawyer. I'm sorry, Dawn doesn't get a lawyer. Dawn starts like this kind of, not a smear campaign, but she's like, whoa, I've been plagiarized by my friend, who's not acting like a great friend right now, who actually I gave her the opportunity to leave the Facebook group, and she didn't. And so Don starts calling all these different places, like calling Grub Street and being like, hey, this person plagiarized me and calling book festivals. This person plagiarized me. It gets picked as like Boston's like one story, whole city, like the whole city is going to read this one story. And she like calls them up and she's like, hey, that story is plagiarized. And then they're like, Sonia, was this plagiarized? And she's like, "Whoa, well, maybe I was inspired by a couple lines. And anyway, so when Don wrote to Sonia and was like, hey, did you steal my my letter or my story Sonia was like no what are you talking about and then because all of Sonia's correspondence including her group texts have been subpoenaed during the discovery process of the ensuing lawsuit I can tell you that at the same time that Don was asking her about this and Sonia was like I don't know what I don't know what you're talking about don't you know geez you're so full of yourself you think I'm writing a story about you I just I was inspired by your letter but it's a pretty boilerplate letter anyway Sonia at the same time turns around and writes to her editors at audible or whatever oh the time when like Sonia was like did you write the story about me someone on Facebook said and or Don blah, blah, blah. anyway the minute Dawn figured out what was going on, Sonia was like, no, you're totally crazy. What are you talking about? And then goes and writes to her editors and is like, oh, hey, can we change a couple lines in that story? I guess I was inspired by somebody's thing and it might be too close to the truth. Sonia is also part of a writer's group called the Chunky Monkeys. The Chunky Monkeys is a prestigious writing group and it's full of people such as Celeste Ang who wrote Little Fires Everywhere. And it's, you know, all these people that run Grub Street and all these kind of big players in the Massachusetts literary circles. And they... So while Sonia's like, Dawn, I really value your friendship. I would never do such a thing. You're totally out of your fucking mind. I am so inspired by your kidney donation. I would never do this. You really value your friendship. I swear it has nothing to do with you. She was talking to her friends. I guess the first version of her story, the main character in her story was named Dawn. What's the story about? Okay, well, let me tell you. It's called The Kindest. Um, and the story... So Sonia is Chinese-American. Dawn is, from what I understand, a white person. The story is about an entitled white lady giving her kidney to a Chinese-American woman who gets in like a car accident and wakes up and has this kidney inside of her. And then the white woman wants a lot of emotional labor from her, basically um and feels like entitled to her time or some big thank you and the person who got the kidney is not really interested. So it's kind of this takedown of this person who in the story gave their kidney so that they could get a lot of alkalates. And in the first version of the story, the character's name was Dawn. And in the first version of the story, I used Don Dorland's actual letter. And on the side in all the group chats, I hope it makes your blood run cold to hear that people can subpoena your group chats because it made me want to crawl out of my skin. Um, in the group chats, everyone's like, Oh, fuck Don Dorland, fuck her and her one kidney. Like, if she comes after you, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna drag her. And also, there's like in the group chats or in the emails, Sonia saying to them, like, ooh, I I know I need to changed the letter the wording in this letter but Dawn's original letter is just so good meanwhile she's telling people I didn't I was just maybe inspired maybe I jotted down a couple lines but I didn't copy it and she's basically telling her friends I copied it and now I don't want to change it anyway so Don is like, oh, and then Sonia ices Dawn at some event. So Dawn calls her bosses. So Don's like calling all these people that Sonia's involved with professionally and saying like, this is plagiarized. Duh, duh, duh. And then Sonia gets a lawyer and the lawyer's like, Don, you got to quit harassing her and fucking with her career. And so that Dawn gets a lawyer and then this is discovery process happens. Um, that's the whole deal. I've read tons of this stuff. When it first came out, The article was slanted to make Don seem like a maniac who was like I gave away my kidney where's my parade but like I mean literally people who give away kidneys like you know it's kind of a big deal the kidney donation place is like yes we're going to have a parade please come to the parade so people know about kidney donation um so after the article came out some prestigious authors whose names I shall not say started posting on Twitter like did she even give away her kidney maybe it was Munchausen syndrome this person is a stalker this person is, is so terrible poor Sonia and then more information started coming out and the tide started to turn and people were like Sonia what's up with you I listeners have listened to multiple of Sonia's short stories now I have read the original short story I have read the court documents I have read hours and hours of testimony and like all kinds of stuff in the group chats and whatever and then followed like Celeste Ang on Twitter and seen her kind of double down and then somebody else whose name I can't remember quit the Chunky Monkeys and told them that they should really all apologize to Don and there's an internal review at Grub Street and it's just that's the gossip that's the gossip I wanted to tell you um yeah That's the gossip I wanted to tell you. The hottest take, I think, that came from this before more information came out was somebody was like, You know, it just makes me really think about how white people will use proximity as a way to assume more closeness with people of color or affiliation with them than actually is reasonable. And, you know, oh, because when it happened, Sonia was like, Don's not my friend. She's barely a friend. I barely know this person. Why would she consider me a friend? Um. Anyway, that's the story. This has taken 16 minutes. I hope you've enjoyed. If you have any hot takes about this, anything I missed, anything I forgot to say, feel free to call it in. Um. I thought about having the person who did the Twitter account KidneyGate on the podcast to talk about it. Honestly... They went kind of hog wild on somebody who started screen grabbing their screen grabs without attribution. And so I just had to kind of back away from the whole thing. But I finished the internet. I finished Twitter. And thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. And I guess uh, call your friends who you're in a group chat with and have them all take a vow that all of you will delete your group chats on your cloud or anywhere you have them, maybe once every couple weeks, once a month, because this stuff coming up that people thought was between friends was ugly. Have a great day. Beth Pickens is the author of two books, Your Art Will Save Your Life and Make Your Art No Matter What. She's an arts consultant, a Capricorn, and an esteemed friend to the show. Beth has a podcast for artists called Mind Your Practice, and you can join her homework club right now at bethpickens.com. If you go to bethpickens.com to join homework club and use the offer code LOVENICOLE by November 4th, you get a month for free. Beth joined me through the magic of Zoom in the Sagittarian Matters social distancing studio to answer your questions about comparing and despairing. You can hear me talk about this more with her at Homework Club on November 3rd. Now, please welcome esteemed Capricorn guest, Beth Pickens. Beth Pickens, welcome back to Capricorn Matters.
1: Ugh, my home away from home.
0: Listeners have missed you. I've missed you. And here we are together again.
1: It's. My only real safe place is Capricorn Matters.
0: This is your safe place. This is the place for the Cap—a Capricorn to be. Dear Beth and Nicole, I know you say compare and despair. How do you strike the balance with being happy with what you have, such as compensation at work, while knowing you are also exploited/slash being paid significantly less than your colleagues? Basically. How do you strike the balance between advocating for equity slash against exploitation and also feeling gratitude for the aspects of your life you really appreciate, especially when it's complicated by being in a really competitive work field from comparing in Calgary? Mm.
1: Well, I think there's there's a few different things going on in this really great question. And I thought first I want to talk about this, this concept of compare and despair, which I think you and I probably heard from a, from a similar spiritual program that we, we run around in. And, and compare and despair, probably it's self-evident, but it's like, what happens when we compare somebody's exterior to our interior? It will never measure up. We will feel a lack. When we look at someone else and project what they have and what that must feel like and compare it to how we feel, then we're kind of doomed to a really negative emotional and cognitive thought pattern, cognitive pattern, emotional landscape. That's what happens with compare and despair. And so that little phrase of compare despair, it's like when we compare ourselves to someone else that can lead right to despair. And, 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 and maybe a, a more useful or helpful comparison is us to ourselves. And this is not a blanket statement. Comparing me to someone who has what I want might also inspire me or challenge me to look for a path. But what I'm hearing in this question is actually a couple of different issues that I want to pull apart. Because there's the piece of comparing ourselves to what other people have, their exterior to our interior, and how that feels. And then there's the structural inequity, which is is a, a different issue than. The emotional landscape of compare and despair. And so from this, from this question, I hear there's maybe issues of equity that have to be addressed or advocating for oneself or one's class of workers in a structural environment. And that's different than compare and despair. So if I see someone who I know is making more money than me, um, and I'm comparing that's not just, be, what's happening isn't just, I feel bad because they're doing better than me. What, what's happening there is there might be a structural issue that needs to be addressed because in, in the world of earning money in the United States, all of that is quite corrupt and has to be addressed. And so comparing our income to anyone else's income is probably going to generate some class rage. So class rage is different from compare and despair. Took, I took the long route to get there, but that's my summary.
0: So how do you deal with this class rage if you have to be around these people and continue to show up for your job?
1: Well, I think multiple things happen at the same time. One is, I I, I don't know the specifics of this person's work or what's going on, but who's making more money? Are they doing the same work as you? In which case, is there some route to take within HR or advocacy or within a, a union to agitate for more money? Are you, do you have direct peer coworkers who are making more money because they're men or they're white, or they have some different kind of thing that shouldn't be um, made superior to your experience? These questions have to be activated and investigated and you can't do that alone. You've got to do that with other people. Then the compare and despair, I think, We come back around to that saying that we don't a thing I heard Ellie Wiesel say on a podcast many years ago that we don't, we can be, we don't have to be grateful for everything, but we can be grateful in in any moment. So even within the job, that's giving you some rage, there can be moments of, I'm grateful to have this job. I'm grateful to have this paycheck. Does that make sense? So you can be agitating and activated to create something better for yourselves and your peers and feel the righteous um, rage against the class system that you're operating in, while also finding moments and um, solid ground of, of gratitude. I'm, I'm grateful for what I have. I think those things can coexist and that might feel like a mind fuck sometimes to have those two things battling. But I remember um, a terrible museum job I had years ago at a museum that shall not be named. Um, I had so much rage against that, the structure of that place. You know, It was just like idiot men making lots more money than me, all, all around me who did nothing. And in order to show up to work, which I needed to do, because it was my income, I had to do things to be in gratitude every day to be able to do the job. So I would have to make it like a grad, I would show up to work and just immediately make a gratitude list. And it would start with like my immediate coworkers who I loved and the fact that I worked in a beautiful place and all of these other things. So it's sort of like in order to do the larger work of changing systemic problems around us, we have to do this emotional work that's about gratitude, about compare and despair, about seeing the things that are working even while we're, in order to change the things that are not.
0: I think that's really valuable. Um, I, you know, it feels almost like, I mean, I know on a a different level, being a teacher, being an instructor, it's easy to let the, it's easy to wanna play to the back of the room. And so like, if there's one student who's being disruptive or not getting it, or just being a jerk, it's easy to let them pull focus and then forget about all the other people in class that actually wanna show up, wanna learn, are trying to listen, are trying to do their work. And so it's kind of like, I, I can I can broaden, I can like, that's like the, the challenge of my life as a teacher is to not get so bugged out of my mind by the person who's like, I hate you, that I am not serving the other people. And so for any job, I feel like, you know, it just to echo exactly what you just said, It's like remember the people that are there that are your allies. Remember the people that you're serving at your job. If you have a job that helps people, and yeah, I mean, if you want to stay there, for me, that's what
1: I have to do. Compare and despair is also inevitable. It's just a human experience. I have it all day. You have it all day. Everybody has this experience. There's there's no shame in that. Nobody nobody needs that um, extra dose of bad feeling, like feeling bad and then feeling bad for feeling bad, but just, I think, I think it can just be a little alert, a a little alert. It can be a little flag, a little signal saying that maybe you need something. So when you find yourself again, taking it out of the structural inequity of your job, but just comparing yourself to anybody, a stranger on the internet, um, somebody you barely know, or somebody you've made up in your mind, or somebody you knew long ago, when you're doing that comparison of somebody's exterior, the story you're putting onto their life, and your interior, that can just be a sign of, okay, maybe I need to check in with myself right now. Like, how am I doing? What am I grateful for today? What do, what seed do I want to plant for something that I want in the future? And I can tell you from my line of work and working with artists and consulting with artists for over a decade, thousands and thousands of hours, you have no idea what's going on in people's lives. I do because they tell me and The exterior, certainly the social media exterior, but also the lived walking around town, being out in the world exterior does not betray what's actually going on in people's lives very often.
0: Yeah. We're going to talk about this, Beth, together, November 3rd at Homework Club. Homework Club is something that you have. It is a club. People are members worldwide. They pay a monthly fee and for this monthly fee, they get all kinds of things. They get beautiful handouts. They get webinars. What else do they get? I guess that's it.
1: They get, they, they get also access to a secret Instagram where I bully people to get off the internet. Um, they also yeah, could be so, a- accountability pods. Yes. I match people up into four person, four artist uh, accountability pods.
0: I find it to be a great savings because it's almost like people are getting to work with you as their consultant, but they get to also be in a group. But I do want to say if people want to come to homework club and hear us together, lead a webinar about envy and jealousy, this question came in spontaneously, but it just happens to line up with that. Um, They can go to homework club and watch it get a month for free with the offer code. Love Nicole. One word, one word. 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 They have to, but the thing is you have to sign up by November 4th to get this free month.
1: Yeah. And and you do that by going to bethpickens.com, there's homework club info there. It's very easy to join. It's $15 a month, but for people who use that offer code, love Nicole, one word, one word's not part of the offer code. Um, you'll get, you'll get, you'll get the month free. And so November, we're focusing on, yeah, envy, jealousy, competition, like w- w- what's your experience and what do we do about it? And you and I will be leading that workshop together. And the workshop is live, but even if you don't join before then or can't attend the live webinar on Wednesday, November 3rd at four o'clock Pacific Standard Time, they're recorded and they're available beginning the next day. So a person could watch it anytime in the
0: future. That's pretty cool. It's, it's pretty great. Oh, God
1: bless perfect. Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs for making it all happen, my partner in business.
0: Oh, yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Jeremiah Perry-Hill, Josephine McRobbie, Emily Helmus, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, and Joey Soloway. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, in particular, producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $5 million, that's your choice, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com or this just in he's got a venmo it's hell books on venmo that's h-e double hockey sticks books thank you for your support and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast
2: Producer yourself looks forward to it too
0: don't be scared that's just Panyo's speaking voice Beth, do you have any other blanket advice for people? I want to say we are going into the holiday season. I will talk to you again, Mm -hmm. I think, because you and I have famously done some pretty good podcasts on how people can
1: prepping for the holidays with with Nicole and Beth.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So listeners, if you have questions about the holidays, about whether to visit your family, about how to visit your family, plus COVID being a situation. You can send them into us and we'll do our best.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Um, Something that I think is in the ether that I'm hearing from a lot of artists as of recent, as of March, 2020 to the present is just that people's grief about what happened to their art um, that cannot be understated. So for all of you who had work that came out sometime in the past year and a half or didn't because of COVID or was destroyed or undermined or rerouted, um, the grief that's related to that is significant and you don't have to diminish it. I know sometimes artists can say, well, it's worse for so-and-so or, you know, I know I shouldn't complain about this, but when you make, for, for people whose projects came out or got derailed since March, 2020, there's significant grief attached to that. And it has continued impact on one's practice I see it in artists across discipline all the time so if that's been your experience too you're totally not alone and
0: it makes a lot of sense that's nice I feel you know it's weird like I have this feeling I'm like oh well now the world's opening up and things seem a little bit better and then waves of pandemic grief are still hitting me mm-hmm. as we go.
1: yeah we, I, I mean I it it seems reasonable to say that everybody alive for this, we're gonna be affected by this for the rest of our lives. Like every, this generation of people who's alive for this particular pandemic will be emotionally, logistically, physically, um, financially impacted for for the rest, until all these generations die out. Like this is a global phenomena. And we don't know how to live through global phenomena because we don't do that very often.
0: We're, we're all going to be like people after the depression who are eating their belts, the shoe leather, like, or like their shoe leather, except for it's going to be all of us just collecting toilet paper for the rest of our lives.
1: You know, what's so funny is I noticed that I thought that was going to be me and it disappeared immediately. As soon as toilet paper was readily available again, I never thought about it. And I was sure I was going to be a person who, every time I went to the grocery store, I just bought like a 12 pack, no matter what, and just had a wall of toilet paper somewhere in my home.
0: I never it didn't stick isn't that weird? That is weird. I mean, it didn't it didn't stick for me either. Well, Beth, thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: It's always an honor and a privilege.
0: And I want everybody to know during this Zoom, part of the time, I have been wearing a fedora. Betke Brunswick is a cartoonist and the author of the forthcoming memoir Elizabeth, which will be available from Tin House Books in 2022. You can find Will and Will's excellent comics on Instagram at TransboyComics. Eduardo is a software engineer and a 15 year vegan. Both of these lovely humans live together in Colorado with their dog, where they taste many vegan foods. Now, please enjoy their unsolicited vegan food
2: review. All right, we are reviewing cheese spread alternative Boursin, Boursin, do you know how to pronounce it? Boursin? Boursin. Boursin? Boursin? Dairy-free garlic and herbs. Uh, It's made with follow your heart, but it doesn't say if it's follow your heart like cheese or follow your heart what, but... Okay.
3: And we got it at Trader Joe's.
2: Yeah. Um, We're going to have it on a cracker. Texture is very firm for
3: a cheese spread. When I opened it, it had this like glossy look. And then I looked at the ingredients and it said coconut oil. And I was like, oh yeah, you can tell that's made with coconut oil.
2: We're crunching the crackers.
3: That's good. I love garlic stuff. I um, don't it, like garlic stuff. It's the kind of thing that would be like gray on toast to make it like a garlicky toast.
2: I think that there are way better cheesy spread things out there made by other brands. This one's too firm. It's like both firm and kind of soft and crumbly at the same time.
3: Yeah, the texture is not, like, super-duper creamy. Mm, Zero percent creamy. And,
2: yeah, I'm not that into it. But, um, you know, I appreciate a dairy-free option. Like, if this was at some sort of event and this was, like, on a cheese and crackers board, I would
3: definitely eat it. Yeah, like, I feel like I can finish this. I don't know if I'd buy another one, though.
2: Oh, yeah, I definitely wouldn't. Um, yeah, thanks a lot, and we love you, Nicole. <laughs> newsflash, newsflash, update. Tell us what you're feeling, Eduardo.
3: After having more of the garlic and herb boursin uh, cheese alternative spread, it is growing on me, and I really like it, and I think I would get it again, Especially if you, I start thinking about it, like, uh, in terms of a garlic butter that I can spread on, like, little toasts. It's so good.
2: Yes, I will quote Eduardo as saying a moment ago, I love it. So, updated, uh, unsolicited vegan food review.
0: Hello, listeners. I'm here today trying something called Simulate Chicken Nugs. N-U-G-G-S. Spicy. Spicy. There's a beautiful photograph of a chicken on the front. It actually looks like a rooster and a white person's hand holding a chicken nugget towards the chicken. What does this mean? Unclear. These are plant-based nuggets. Okay, because of the new fancy packaging, and I, this is, I think this is the same people that made not milk, because of their fancy packaging, it, it makes me feel like they think they're innovating on something, So I turned it over to look at the ingredients. There's no innovation in using wheat protein and soy protein concentrate and breadcrumbs for a vegan chicken nugget. Boca Burger has been making chicken nuggets for 100 years. Well, theirs aren't vegan, so I've never had them. But I mean, it's just, it's so weird to me that this place is like, we're a new fucking awesome brand with cool branding. Get ready for our simulated chicken nuggets. Can you believe it? And then it's the same, it is the same ingredients as every single bag or box of chicken nuggets you're gonna find in the frozen section. I sat, because everybody knows I don't, my, my body doesn't, you know, jump for joy over wheat. I sat in the frozen section and read the back of every single vegan chicken nugget or vegetarian chicken nugget, and they all have wheat protein as like their second, first, second, or third ingredient. So why does simulate, why is simulate act, and acting like they created alternative milk, like they created chicken nuggets? Unclear. Anyway. Um, so I came home, I put these at 425. There's no other awesome copy about what's happening in this. There's just the awesome picture of the chicken on the front. Um, you know what? I made these, I got the spicy kind. I put them at 450. I don't know for how long until I could smell them. And, um, their coating is nice. It is spicy and it is kind of firm and crunchy here. A little bit firm. The inside is nice. It's just it's just a chicken nugget texture, which isn't rocket science. I am gonna try the Impossible Chicken Nuggets and tell you how that goes. They are now exclusively at Fatburger. None of these people are sponsoring me. I'm just purchasing these things out of pocket so I can tell you about them. Um, is there anything weird in the ingredient list for these chicken nuggets? Ancho chili peppers, that's pretty fun. Dehydrated red bell pepper, sure. That's pretty much it. Um, Anyway, these are totally fine if you get them. If you want chicken nuggets, these are a totally fine, totally reasonable thing to get. Um, You'll enjoy the packaging or not, depends how you feel about animals looking at a simulated version of their body. And uh, yeah, I chopped mine up, I put them on a salad and now I gotta eat the salad. Thanks for listening.
4: Michelle T, we're on the corner of a busy street. Here we are in Burbank, California. Yep. And we're having this um, insane drink called the, what is it called? The Lovely Creature? Something like that. And it, it has rose petals, maybe cardamom. Yes, cardamom and then rose. And then rose syrup. Yeah, and then edible glitter. As well as oat milk and, of course, espresso. All right, let's try it. Let's try it.
0: It smells like rose. There's rose pet- glittery rose petals on top of it. It legit
4: smells like something I would wear on my body.
0: I would put this all over my body
4: tastes great to me I love it I love this trend to put rose in coffee I'm into it this place is doing some things with coffee that I've always
0: wished or with coffee drinks where they've added a little bit of like this is healthy this has some herbs that are going to stimulate your blood like they have a beet latte here that doesn't have any coffee in it but just like has the feeling of you're drinking coffee but it has beetroot and a bunch of chai kind of things like health tonics
4: yeah oh that's cool like health tonic lattes wow I'm into it. I'm also into this giant pastry that I'm getting, I'm eating that has like a like a caramelized sugar base. Yeah. It's insane. It looks like a giant bou- bouffant hairdo.
0: It is, you're eating a bouffant hairdo. And I have this like chocolate brownie cookie you got me with sea salt on top and it's perfect. Exactly what you want it to be. It has crispy edges. It's like, you know, gooey on the inside.
4: I do want to say that you are drinking an iced drink. Mm-hmm. And so you got a straw there. Um, and I'm drinking a hot drink, and I, I took my little lid off so I could see how pretty it was. They actually made a little heart on top of it, but I'm, I'm getting the rose petals in my mouth.
0: You're spitting them out.
4: I am sort of like chewing them a little bit and then like spitting out a wad of rose petals onto the sidewalk. <laughs> this was
0: an unintended
4: aspect of the rose petal yeah. garnish. I mean, they're edible. I can eat them. I did swallow a, a few of them, but then I'm like, I can't tell if I want to spit or swallow it happens you sometimes you just don't know
0: you don't know it's like are you supposed to keep them in your cheek like a baseball player (laughs) and just have them all day I have to say I I don't enjoy a floral sorbet don't try to give me that
4: I love a floral sorbet fuck that
0: you know why I'm so mad about it it's because people will put it there instead of vegan ice cream and they'll be like this is just as good as ice cream so then
4: everyone's eating creamy ice cream and they're like here's your perfume Oh, you know what I, I mean? See why you would not like that. You're, you're bringing a lifetime of neglect as a vegan to yeah. that. Whereas yeah. I actually really like sorbet a lot. Because I'm always wishing I could have a slush, like a good old um, East Coast Italian ice. And like the closest I can get to it on the West Coast tends yeah. to be, tends to be, um, oh, is there a portos near here? It tends to be a sorbet. That makes sense. I think if I wasn't coming to it with as much
0: scarcity damage, I would have a different idea about it, but sometimes it's the only thing and it's like dandelion, armpit, or I don't know, it's just like a weird flavor and I just want to have a standard flavor as an option so then I can feel like I'm choosing it and like I'm not getting forced into the weird sorbet. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.